Could we turn to John chapter 8 tonight, please? The 8th chapter of John's Gospel. Uh, John 8 verse 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go ye cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So three times Jesus uses this phrase, die in your sins. And it's an awful phrase to think that a soul could die in their sins. How tragic. I hope that's not I hope that will not happen. God forbid it should happen to any one in this service tonight. God forbid that it should happen to anybody in new buildings. Wasn't it the old Puritan Richard Baxter who used to pray, Lord, oh, for a full heaven and an empty hell. Oh, for a full heaven and an empty hell. What he was really praying for and asking God and his heart longed that, that not one soul would be, ever be in hell, that hell would be unoccupied, that, it'd be, that it would be empty, and that everyone would be in heaven. And folks, that's the desire of every true Christian, by the way. We, we all want hell to be empty and heaven to be full. But we know that that's unfortunately not the way it's going to be. Because Jesus said that there'll be many on the broad road and few on the narrow road. But it doesn't change the fact that we as believers, oh, we don't want one person to be lost. And so the Lord Jesus is exactly the same. In fact, he's, he has that emotion and that conviction within his soul a thousand times more than we have. And it's not his will that any should perish. That's why he came that first Easter to Jerusalem to die at Calvary and to rise again so that nobody would die in their sins. But here these religious leaders, these religious Jews, they are so belligerent and hard-hearted that they will not accept him, that they'll not believe in him. And Jesus says... If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. You notice there, folks, if you look closely at the word he on the top line, it's in italics. So in the original, it's not actually there. The translators have added it in to give the sense of the verse. If ye believe not that I am, 
That's really what, what was in the original. You shall die in your sins. In other words, if you don't believe that I, Jesus Christ, am the great I am, the great Jehovah of the Old Testament, you're going to die in your sins. Some people say, ah, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter about the divinity of Christ. Doesn't, it's no big issue, no big deal whether Jesus is uh, God or not. All that matters is that he died on a cross for our sins. Don't get into an argument. Don't worry about, about whether he's God. But that is incorrect because his divinity is central. It's a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. He's the great I am. And if any soul is to be saved, they need to acknowledge the fact that he is God because anyone less than God cannot save. It takes someone who's both God and man to save a, a lost sinner. It is such a mammoth task that only the God-man can do it. We better read on. Verse 25. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They, under, they understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he. So there it is again. You see the he in italics. Then shall ye know that I am. Whenever I'm on the cross, the Lord was saying, On that first Good Friday, you're going to know that I am the great I am who has come down to save sinners. Ye, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And, the, and he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. And you know, isn't that so appropriate for W.P. Nicholson? We could say the same about him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. And we'll say more about it later, about the, the many people who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of Mr. Nicholson a hundred years ago. W.P., as he's affectionately known, came to the city of Derry, London, Derry, in April 1922. So exactly a hundred years ago, he had his campaign, or his campaigns, I should say, in the city. He spent three weeks in Clooney Hall Methodist Church, and um, then he moved across the River Foyle. He didn't swim across it, but he moved across over into First Derry Presbyterian and spent another three weeks there. And during the entire six-week campaign, 1,300 people passed through the inquiry rooms. 
Now, I'm not saying that 1,300 people were saved, but 1,300 people were concerned. The Lord alone knows how many out of that 1,300 were actually truly converted. But 1,300 had inquiries, were convicted. They were uh, stung by the sting of conviction. They felt the needle of conviction. And folks, don't we need to see that today? There's not much conviction today. And whenever you tell people that they need to be saved, they kind of shrug their shoulders, don't they? And keep chewing their chewing gum. So we need to pray in these days for conviction and that souls would have a deep concern about their own immortal souls and a deep concern about the one who hung and bled and died on Calvary's cross for them. So 1,300 people through the inquiry rooms. Now I can give you a figure of people who were saved on the last night of that campaign. 200 people were saved. That must have been quite a night in First Derry Presbyterian. And the devil's probably whispering into your ear right now, it'll never happen again. But then with God, all things are possible. And just when things are at their lowest ebb and the tide's out, then the Lord moves and the Spirit comes down and revives his church. And remember what we talked about this morning, about Samson's hair growing again. And whenever Samson's hair grew again, we read that he stood between the pillars as the Philistines, after having put out his eyes, he stood between the pillars and he pulled down that building. And the Bible says he destroyed more in his death than he did in his life. And whenever the Spirit comes in revival to the church, then Satan's kingdom is brought down. And don't we long for that day? And I believe that it's coming. Do you believe it too? Just thinking about that wee hymn during the past week. It is coming, we believe it, thou dost hear and answer prayer. It is coming, we shall see it, thine almighty arm made bare. By the way, if you want to read it when you go home tonight, Judges chapter 16, do you know who the Lord used to bring the Philistines a house down, that building that 3,000 Philistines were gathered in and they were mocking Samson? Do you know who the Lord used to, to move Samson to the pillars so that so he could pull the house down? A lad. A lad. A little child shall lead them. Who knows, but in the next great revival that's going to strike Ulster, maybe the Lord will use a lad, maybe he'll use the children. Maybe he'll use some of the children even in our congregation in a mighty way. So WP came to the city a hundred years ago, so that is why we are thinking about him on the Sunday evening, throughout the month that we're now in. 
What I didn't realize until this past week was that Mr. Nicholson came back to Londonderry 25 years later, and if you do your sums, it's the year 1947. And on the 3rd of January, he commenced a gospel campaign in the Guildhall. It was organized by the CWU, Christian Workers Union, and they brought Nicholson for another campaign 25 years after the Lord had moved through his ministry in 1922. And on one occasion, Mr. Nicholson, as he preached the gospel during that campaign, 23 people were saved in one night. 23. It's very amusing. It's humorous, by the way, because on the same night that, that those people were saved, Nicholson stood up at the platform and he told the people, now I'm going to be preaching until 9 o'clock. Now this was 8 o'clock when he stood up. He's going to preach for an hour. And he looked down at the congregation and he said, if anybody dares to leave their seat before I'm finished preaching, I'm going to describe you the whole way to the door. And uh, so everybody kind of curled up in their seat and hunkered in their seats closer together and nobody dared move. And some people would say, well, oh dear, that wasn't very nice of Mr. Nicholson. That was very offensive. Oh dear, nobody will be saved tonight. 23 were saved. You see, it doesn't matter how many obstacles are in the way of the Holy Spirit, folks. It doesn't matter, matter how many barriers in the, are in the way of the Holy Spirit. He can just hurdle them all. And he can draw souls to Christ. And he can bring them to the Savior. And it doesn't matter how many um, obstacles and barriers the devil puts in the way of the Lord. He just, uh, he just removes them all. And even if... The instrument in the pulpit is an obstacle or a barrier or he says something out of place. That's irrelevant because the Holy Spirit just goes over it and overrides it all. And he accomplishes the great work of salvation in the soul. For salvation is not of the preacher. Salvation is of the Lord. And remember that God didn't move because Nicholson was such a great man. He moved because the Holy Spirit had a plan that souls were going to be brought to Christ. Nicholson was just an earthen vessel, just a weak instrument that the Lord decided would be the person in the pulpit when he moved mightily. What was the text of scripture that Nicholson used that night when 23 people were saved. Well, we have read it tonight, and here it is. I'm going to read it to you. John chapter 8, verse 21. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to preach the sermon that Nicholson preached that night, and I couldn't anyway, because I don't know what he preached. But I know the text. This was the text. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. You see, there are only two ways to die, folks. Let's remember that. 
And here they are. You can either die in your sins or you can die in the Lord. Just two ways. The book of Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 and we're going to come to it we're going to come to it in the fairly near future on the Sunday morning but in Revelation 13 14 verse 13 it says blessed are the dead which die in the Lord die in the Lord they're blessed they're happy All their troubles are over. All their physical suffering is over. All the temptations are past. All the tears are gone. They're with the Lord and they're blessed. Because they died in the Lord. But in John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus speaks about people who don't die in the Lord. No, for them it's the opposite. They die in their sins. And that's what I want to think about first of all tonight. The first way a person can die, as Jesus said in John chapter 8, you can die in your sins. Now you notice that Jesus doesn't use the word sin. There's an S on the end of it. He's speaking about sins, plural. He's talking about our acts, what we do. We we are sinners by nature, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Original sin, as we call it. He's talking about actual sin or actual sins. And he says that the great danger is that a person dies in their sins. All those sinful thoughts, all those sinful words... All those sinful actions that maybe we thought were, were okay. There was nothing wrong with them. But actually when, when the light of God's holiness was shone upon them. They were very, very exceedingly sinful. Extremely vile and abhorrent in the sight of a holy God. And Jesus says that, the, that it's possible to die in those sins. Of course, Jesus gives us the reason why a person dies in their sins and goes out into hell. He gives us the answer there. He says it's because they believe not that I am he. Or as we said earlier, there's really no he in the original. They believe not that I am. People end up in hell not because of the bad things they have done, but because they have rejected Jesus Christ. And because they have refused to believe on him. They have refused to do something that's so simple. It's ABC. It's something that a a wee child can do. Believe. The Lord Jesus doesn't ask us, To climb a mountain. He doesn't ask us to swim the sea. He doesn't ask us to crawl on our hands and knees over broken glass. He doesn't ask us to do anything like that. He doesn't ask us to do what the Hindus do in the Philippines at Easter time. They stick a hook in their backs and they attach a rope to a tree and swing from the, the, the tree. But Jesus doesn't ask anybody to do anything like that. No, to be saved and to avoid dying in your sins, all he says is believe. 
But it's not just blind faith. It's not just faith because lots of people talk about having faith. Oh, I have a great faith. Well, the Lord doesn't give two hoots about your great faith. What matters is that your faith is in Christ. Your faith's in the great I am. We've got to believe that he is the great I am. We've got to believe that he's the one in the Old Testament who brought Israel out of Egypt. We've got to believe that he's the one who helped David and enabled David to bring down Goliath. We've got to believe that he's the one who caused fire to come down from heaven on Elijah's altar. We've got to believe that he's the one who saved Daniel from the mouths of the lions in the den. The great I am, the great Jehovah, that's Jesus Jesus in the New Testament is Jehovah in the Old Testament. Same person. The great I am. So there is absolutely no reason for any person on the face of the earth. And definitely no reason for anybody in here tonight to die in their sins. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God forbid that anybody in the church should die in their sins. God forbid that anybody in the village should die in their sins. God forbid that any in the city where Nicholson preached should die in their sins. God forbid that anybody in in Ulster that has been blessed with the gospel, God forbid that anyone should die in their sins because it's not a very nice death to die, I can tell you. And that's an understatement. Let me read to you some of the words of people who died in their sins. And these people are atheists now. Listen to their dying words. A man called Hobbes. He said, I am taking a fearful leap in the dark. Another man called Mirabu. He said, give me laudanum that I may not think of eternity. Voltaire, the French atheist, this is what he said when he was dying. I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Oh Christ, oh Jesus Christ. There was a nurse attending Voltaire as he died. And she said that she never ever wanted to be at the deathbed of an atheist as long as she lived. Never wanted to be again, never ever again did she want to be at the deathbed of a dying atheist. It had left such a a, a traumatic emotional scar upon her mind. She was so horrified by the sight of it, so horrified by the words she said, I wouldn't do it for all the wealth in Europe. Voltaire, who died in his sins. Charles IX of France, here's what he said. What blood, what murders, what evil counsels have I followed? I am lost. Thomas Paine, who wrote The Age of Reason, this is what he said. I would give worlds if I had them, if if the age of reason had never been published. 
Stay with me. It is hell to be left alone. Boy, that was some U-turn for an atheist who wrote uh, a book that was atheistic in its content. And now he's saying as he dies that he wished he had never written it. Francis Newport, as he died, these words flowed from his lips. Millions and millions of years will bring me no nearer to the end of torments than one poor hour. Oh, eternity, eternity. To die in your sins. What an awful way to die. And the reason why Mr. Nicholson came to the city in 1922 and back again in 1947 was because he didn't want anybody to die in their sins. But then there's the other way that a person can die, thank God, and this is a good way to finish tonight. And it's better to finish on a good note than on a sour note. I don't want to leave a sour taste in your mouth tonight, folks, as we finish. Here's the good news that it's possible for a person to die in the Lord. How can you do that? How is that possible? How is it possible to die with joy in your heart and with praise on your lips? Well, again, the Lord Jesus gives us the answer in John 8 because he goes back to the word believe. That word is one of John's favorite words, by the way. If you, if you, uh, sometime when you're reading your Bible, it'd be a good study to do just go through John's gospel or you can do it even on your phone. How many times the word believe crops up in, in the gospel of John? It's, it's one of his key words. But for a person to die in the Lord and to go out into eternal bliss, they must believe on him. And thank God down through the centuries, there have been countless believers who have died in the Lord. I've told you tonight about the dying words of some atheists and unbelievers. I want to tell you the dying words of some Christians now as we finish. D.L. Moody, this is what he said. This is glorious. Earth recedes. Heaven is opening. God is calling me. Margaret Pryor, eternity rolls before me like a sea of glory. Dr. Cullen, I wish I had the power of writing. I would describe how pleasant it is today. This is encouragement, by the way, for some of you good folks and your loved ones have died and gone on to be with the Lord. Take heart. S. Uh, uh, S. Bangs, the sun is setting, mine, uh, uh, mine is rising. I go from this bed to a crown. John Arthur, can this be death? Why, it is better than living. Tell, tell them I die happy in Jesus. Samuel Rutherford, the Scottish Covenanter, Here's what he said when he, when he was dying. Amid the shades of evening, while sinks life's lingering sand, I hail the glory dawning in Emmanuel's land. Lord Shaftesbury, who fought against the slave trade, a fine Christian, this is what he said. I am touching the hem of his garment. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. 
I am still in the land of the dying. I shall soon be in the land of the living. People who died in the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to be saved? Isn't it wonderful that one day we're going to join all those who have gone on before? And someday when the church in its entirety is gathered home, we will all rejoice around the throne together. Of course, that was one of the great texts of W.P. Nicholson's campaigns. Campaigns, by the way, folks, that were supported by all the churches. There was unity, you see. Nicholson's campaigns weren't organized by just one church or one group. There were united gospel campaigns and all the churches came together and we need that in our day, don't we? But, but, but the text of scripture that you find over the tents where Nicholson was having his campaigns was all one in Christ Jesus. You can even see it on the internet, all one in Christ Jesus. Thank God we who are alive, we who are a part of the church militant here on earth, one day will join the church triumphant, all the believers who have gone on before us and praise God, we are all one in Christ Jesus. If you're not part of that great church, the universal church of Christ, thank God you can become part of it tonight. You can even do so as we sing our final hymn, 667. 667, under the burdens of guilt and care, many a spirit is grieving, who in the joy of the Lord may share life everlasting receiving. Life, life, eternal life, Jesus alone is the giver, life, life, abundant life, glory to Jesus forever. We will have the first and last verses of hymn number 600. And sixty seven. Let's stand. <laughs> <laughs> 